Amen. If you would please take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Old Testament. And the book of Malachi is where we'll be this evening. Just like I say, I'm thankful to have this opportunity to preach and, and to be in this service and to be in this church uh, for their missions conference. And as we come uh, to the book of Malachi, and as we look in chapter 1, we know Malachi, they call it one of the minor prophets. And the reason for that isn't because of the message. Uh, They think the message is somewhat less important than others, uh, but rather because of the size of the text. And we know uh, it's a smaller book, and and so I know it was always one of my favorite reading growing up because it was a little bit smaller than the other ones, a little bit easier to get through. And as we come to this portion of Scripture, though, in the book of Malachi, God has a very important message uh, for His people. Notice what it says in verse 1, if you would, please. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And it's an interesting thing. He calls the message that he has for his children a burden. Uh, something that's going to be hard for them to take. Something maybe that might be a little bit uncomfortable for them. And we know that in this portion of Scripture, and this timeline of the nation of Israel, uh, what has happened is the nation of Israel has been led back uh, to the promised land after their time in captivity. And um, after their time in captivity, they've been led back. And the two prophets that came before Malachi, Haggai and Zechariah, they had a very important job because God had called this nation to rebuild the temple. And something had happened. They started it, and, and then they stopped about halfway through, we could say. It would be almost like the people building this church, and they just put in the frame. Maybe they even put in some installation, but that was it. And so God had to send to them Haggai and Zechariah, and He had to tell them, He had to encourage them, He had to reprove them to keep it going, to continue to build the temple. And they had done that. And then as we come to Malachi, something else has happened. Malachi had to be sent to them with a burden from God to His people, because after they had built the temple, they decided to neglect it, and to neglect the things of God, and to neglect the great work that God had given them to do, to worship Him and to glorify Him and to sacrifice to Him. And and they decided to do away with that and to neglect that work. And so God had to come and He had to give a message through Malachi to His people. And so the words that Malachi is writing here, the words that he spoke to the nation weren't his own, but they are the words of Almighty God to his people. And and if you would notice with me why he did this, if you would just uh, listen here, it The reason we know uh, why the people were neglecting the temple was because Haggai and Zechariah had came. They fired them up. And many many portions of the books of Haggai and Zechariah, there's many great prophecies that are told about the coming Messiah and about the great king that is coming to save them and to make their nation great. But something had happened some years, maybe had gone by, some time had passed, and it hadn't happened yet. And there wasn't the king that was there that was promised. And so, in that time, maybe they got a little discouraged. Maybe they got a little uh, feeling like nothing was ever going to happen. And they began to slack off a little bit, we could say. And so Malachi had to come to them. And he had to have a word from God. And, And as I think of that, no doubt I think of Christianity today. And for 2,000 years, we've had our risen Messiah. And we've known, through the book of Revelation, that He is coming back again. And maybe today... You and I, we could say that we found ourselves almost like the children of Israel here. We know the prophecy. We know that it's coming. We believe it, but it hasn't come yet. And maybe it's discouraged us a little bit. Maybe, maybe we need a little reproof from the Lord to help get us back into gear. And to help get us focused on what He'd have for us to do. And so if you'd begin reading with me in verse 6, this is what the Bible says. God's speaking here to His children. He says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. 
And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And if you look with me in verse 6, what the Bible says, he says, God says, if then I be a father, where is mine honor? Where is mine honor? And as God is speaking to his children here, could I say the children, God Almighty had every right to deserve honor from his children. You see, these were people that God had called up from a single man, from Abraham. And from Abraham, he pulled him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and he sent him on a great journey to the promised land. We know from Abraham, he had a son, a miraculous son, whose name was Isaac. And God had used Isaac in Abraham's life to show, to make sure that the man that he chose was fully dedicated to him. And remember, we know Abraham had to lead Isaac up the mountain. Thankfully, God was providing another ram and he would use that. And then from Isaac, we have his son named Jacob. And from Jacob, we know there's 12 sons that came. And those 12 sons would become the next 12 tribes of the great nation of Israel. One of the sons, his name was Joseph. And God used him in a mighty way to preserve the nation in a time of famine. Although he was rejected by his brethren, he found comfort and peace and fellowship in his God. And he was able to be used of God to protect his nation, his own kindred, his own brethren. And they were in Egypt. And then the Bible tells us something happened. A Pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph, that knew not God. And he began to enslave the people of Egypt. He began to enslave the people of Israel in Egypt. And something happened. They, they, it got to a point where God used Moses, a mighty man, to call the nation out of Egypt and to set them up and to tra- travel back to the land which God had promised them. That took 40 years before they got there. When they got there, though, they didn't have the faith to go and to possess the promised land that God had given them. So they had to travel another 40 years, and finally they were there, and they had taken the land, they had conquered all that God had given them, and they were there, they had a nation, and we know in the Bible that God, something happened. The nation of Israel, they looked at all the other nations, and they saw they had a king. And they had no king, and they had a priest and Samuel uh, that they could use to get, and Samuel was uh, their way, and they, they had God leading them, amazing thing, uh, but they rejected that. And we remember in the word of God, God tells Samuel not to be discouraged because the people of Israel, they didn't reject Samuel, but they rejected God. And so God had to give them a king, and he gave them a king. And ever since that time when they had a man serving on the throne rather than God, although he was appointed by God, we know any nation, any country that is led by a man, one day it will fall into sin. And, and things will happen that could only happen because they're being led by sinful man. And that's exactly what happened. And a point came where God had to say to his people, enough is enough. And he had to send nations in to conquer his own children as a way of punishment. And all that had happened. They had been in captivity. God had prophesied that they would come out. And the exact time frame came, and God was true. He was faithful on his promise. And they were brought back out into the land again, led by uh, great people that we know in the word of God, like Zerubbabel and 
Nehemiah to build up the wall of the once great nation and city of Jerusalem. All of this has happened. They built the temple, and then Malachi comes to tell them and to reprove them of the temple. And all of these mighty things that happened, and God was deserving of their honor. He had called them out from one man. He had preserved them throughout time. He had led them out of captivity, not once, but twice. And to be used of God in a mighty way to show forth to all the other nations who the one true God was. But yet there came a point in the time of their lives where God had to look upon His own people, His own children, and He had to ask them this question. Where is mine honor? And can I say, you and I, as children of God, I wonder if God is looking at us today and asking us the very same question. Is He looking at the span of our lives and what we're doing for Him in secret, in public, in our own private time, in our time here in church? Is He looking at us and is He saying, I've given you so much. I am deserving of your honor. And can I say today, God is deserving, not just of the nation of Israel's honor, but of our honor today as well. You see... God has sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into this earth for a reason. Because the Bible says that we were all sinners. It says, whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and that man was Adam. And because of his sin, sin passed upon all men, and death has passed upon all men. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us were guilty of sin. And the Bible goes on and it describes the payment, the penalty for sin. It says, the wages of sin is death. Is death. And the death it's speaking of there is not just any physical death, but it's, it's a spiritual death, an eternal death, the death of your soul, and a place apart from Jesus Christ forever, and a place the Bible calls hell. And the Bible says that is exactly what you and I deserve. But then it says, For God so loved the world. And God loved you and me so much that He did something. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came into this earth, and He lived amongst His own people, but He was rejected by them. And they did away with him, and they took Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They beat him, they mocked him, they shed his blood. And because the perfect lamb that was Jesus Christ, his blood was shed, and he died, and then he was buried, and he rose again, he made a way that you and I, when we die, can have eternal life with him. That you and I, when we are living, we can have a relationship with God, and we can have hope and eternal life. And can I tell you this evening that if you have accepted that free gift of salvation, you are, God is deserving of your honor. God is deserving of your life to honor Him. But I wonder, maybe you and I find ourselves like the nation of Israel, thinking to ourselves, we know God is supposed to come, Jesus Christ is supposed to come again, but it's been quite some time and nothing's happened and the world keeps getting worse and worse. And I wonder if He's looking at our lives and seeing maybe that we've slacked off a little bit. Maybe we've gone astray from what He has for us and what He desires for us. And is He looking down and asking, where is mine honor? The own children that I have saved out of eternal damnation, where is mine honor? Let's look at why he asked the children of Israel this very question. In verse 7 it says this, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? We know that in this day, the way that God had designed for his people to have atonement, to have forgiveness of their sins, is they were to go and they were to offer to God in the temple a lamb. Not just any lamb, but a perfect lamb. A spotless lamb. That was his design for them, to sacrifice to him for the washing away, the atonement of their sins. And that is what God desired and demanded that they would do. 
And it came to a point, though, in the nation of Israel's lives where God was looking at their sacrifice, and he describes it as this polluted bread, old, moldy bread. He says, you offer to me the lame and the sick, not the best. He says, you offer to me the blind for a sacrifice. That's what they were offering to God. And God looked upon their offering, what they were giving to him, and he asked this question, where is mine honor? He asked it after looking at what they were giving him. Can I say, thankfully, you and I today no longer have to go to a temple and offer a lamb for a sacrifice. Because those lambs that they were offering pointed to one who was the great lamb. And the great lamb of God, he was sent on this earth, and he was slain for our sins. In Isaiah chapter 55, 53, the Bible describes him as a lamb being sent forth to the slaughter. And because Jesus Christ died and paid our penalty, we no longer have to pay, we no longer have to offer a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus Christ is the great offering that satisfies all of our sins. So what is it then that God requires from us? What is the sacrifice of those that have prayed and asked Him to come into their heart and to be their great Savior? It's described for us in Romans chapter 12. May I read it for you? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Thankfully, you and I no longer have to offer a lamb, but we still have to offer something. And it's not for the atonement of our sins, but it's because of the atonement that has already been done for our sins. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Because of the mercy God has already had on you and me, this is the sacrifice that He requires, that we present our bodies A living sacrifice. That means that you and I are to present our bodies while we're alive. On earth. While we're living here. Not just when we get to heaven. But while we're here on earth. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. That's the kind of sacrifice God wants. Acceptable in His sight. And then He says this. Which is your reasonable service. You see, so many Christians today, they think to think this way, to think that they have to give their whole lives to Christ after they've become a Christian, that they have to continue to live for Him day in and day out and do whatever He wants for them. They think that's radical, that that's that's not really what it's supposed to be, but God is telling us here it's not radical, it's normal. It's what He requires. It's what He expects from each and every one of His children, that the sacrifice that we give to Him is holy, is acceptable, and it's our reasonable service. God looked upon His own nation, His own people, And he asked them this question, where is mine honor? Why? Why did he ask this question? Because what they were giving to him wasn't what he deserved. And it wasn't the true sacrifice that he deserves. And can I tell you, you and I, the sacrifice God deserves, it's it's much more than just our money. It's much more than just our time. It's much more than just our work. It's our own lives, our heart. That's what God deserves. That's what God requires. That is what our reasonable service is to God. That's what it is. That's what our sacrifice ought to be to God. And you know, really, this is the open secret for the Christian life. Our sacrifice to God about our own lives is really the measure of the kind of Christians we will become. A great English preacher and Bible teacher named J. Wilbur Chapman, he had a chance to speak while he was living to the great general. And this great general wasn't just any general of any army, but he was the general of the Salvation Army, William Booth. And the general of the Salvation Army, Wilbur Chapman, had a chance to speak with him. And he asked him, this man, William Booth, he had a chance to start the Salvation Army that went out all throughout England and London. And it was able to not only just supply for the physical needs of people, but for their spiritual needs. And at this time, while he was living, the Salvation Army was a great organization, committed to giving the gospel to every creature. And had great success in 
Mr. Chapman asked William Booth, what is the secret to your success? What is the secret? He retells this story and he says this. He hesitated a second, William Booth did, and then Dr. Chapman said, and I saw tears come into his eyes and steal down his cheeks, and he said, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Mr. Chapman, he wrote, he said he left that meeting knowing that the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender to God. Can I tell you, that's the same that is true for us today. You say, I want to live a life that honors God. It requires sacrifice of our own life, of our own will. Not only that, we see this in verse 10. He says this, Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. It's an amazing thing. Right after God gets on to his own people because of what they were doing, or rather what they weren't doing, he then goes and he tells them, he, offer, he says, who is there even among you that would shut the doors for not? What he's saying is these people, they would come, and they would come to the temple, they would offer the sacrifice, they would do what God had required them to do, but he says they would do it as long as they felt they could get something in return. They wouldn't do it for not. He says, who is there, neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for not. He says you're doing the right things, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And here in this portion of Scripture, God is telling to us, He is far more concerned about who we are than what we do. Why? Because you and I, we can fake the what we do. We can be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. But God sees the heart. And if we're right on the inside, then the outside will be right as well. You can't help but be right. And God, He's coming to His nation and He's telling them, You come to my temple, you you shut the doors which is needed, you kindle the fire on the altar which is needed for a sacrifice, but you're doing it for naught. And he says this, I have no pleasure in you. That's the pleasure God has for the people that are serving him for the wrong reasons. For the people that are serving him for the wrong heart, for the wrong attitude. He says, I have no pleasure in you. You know, what he's saying here is something that our pastor, Pastor Sexton, often says. He says, we serve God because of, not in order to. What he means by that is the reason we serve God isn't in order to get something out of him, that we may be blessed by our lives, that he may uh, put his hand of protection on our lives, although that will happen. That's not the reason we serve God. We serve God because of who he is and what he has done for us. And if nothing else were to come from our lives, we ought to still serve God because of what he's already done for us. And as we look at the great sacrifice that God gave of his only son, Jesus Christ, all that can do for us, all that should do for us, is be the great motivation for us to live for him. Not so we can get anything out of Him, but because of what He's already done for us. We love Him because He first loved us. That's why we love Him. That's why we're to serve Him. The nation of Israel, they they got it mixed. They got it messed up. They were serving God, not because of what He's already done for them, but because of what they thought they could get out of Him in return. And He says, I have no pleasure in you. That's what God thinks about those people. Not only does He say, Where is mine honor? Because the sacrifice they were giving wasn't what he deserved. Because the attitude that they had serving him wasn't the right one. But then he also says this in verse 11. 
For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. He reminds them, you don't have to sacrifice to me the way that I desire. You don't have to serve me the way that I deserve to be served. But in the end, my name will still be great. It will still be great, not just among you, but among the heathen. Among those that don't know. And we know that's alluding to a time when Jesus Christ will come again. And we know that in that time, there was coming a time where every knee shall bow. And every tongue confess. That's coming. And God reminds us here in this portion of scripture, there's coming a time where his name will be great among all the heathen. And he's, can I say he's reminding us today as well, there's coming a time where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What does that mean for the Christian? Those that are saved, it means there's coming a time where you and I will no longer be able to honor Him on this earth the way that He desires for us to. Our time to live for Him on this earth is short, and it's coming to an end. It'll either be by death or by the return of Jesus Christ. And it reminds us in this portion of Scripture that we must do all that we can to honor Him while we can. When I was uh, in high school, my pastor, he gave me a book in it. It really helped me and encouraged me and helped steer my life in the right direction. And it was a title that really stuck out to me. And it was this, one thing you can't do in heaven. And you know, there's many things maybe you think that we can't do in heaven, but the author, what he was getting at is the one thing you can't do in heaven is tell another soul that's lost about Jesus Christ. Again, I tell you, for all of us, there's coming a time where our time to serve God, to live for Him, to obey Him on this earth, it'll be over. So we must honor Him while we can now. There's one thing you can't do in heaven. There's several things you can't do in heaven, we could say. We must do them here on earth while we can. Because there is coming a time when every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. So we come to this portion of scripture and God looks at his children. Notice who he asked it to, his own children. He didn't ask it to those who were lost and dying. This was a message for those that knew him. And he asked them, where is mine honor? His own children, he had to ask that question. Is he looking at our lives, my life today? Saying, Johnny, where is mine honor? You're not giving to me. You're not sacrificing to me what I deserve. You're serving me on the outside, but on the inside, I know the reason for that isn't right. Just remember, Johnny, there is coming a time where you'll no longer be able to honor me on this earth, so do it while you can. May that convict all of our hearts to honor the Lord while we can. How does that happen? By living a life that honors Him. That's how we give God the honor that is due His name. And it's possible. It's real. We can actually honor God. The question is, are we willing to do so? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the day You've given us. Lord, we thank Thee for the truths of Your Word. We know that the same truth that You had for these people in the book of Malachi, it is still true for us today. Your your Word liveth and abideth forever. So God, I pray that You'd help us take heed to Your Word, to look at our own lives and ask ourselves, is my life honoring God? Lord, I pray You'd convict me even this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.